Hey everybody, this is Greg Schleter with Mass Impact, and I want to ask the question, have you ever thought to yourself, and be really honest now, I don't get anything out of Mass? Now I know the pious among us would say, how could you ever say such a thing? It's the Mass, it's the source and summit. Yes, true, we know this. We can read the Catechism and understand, and hopefully have a faith and assent to the fact that indeed God is working powerfully. But do you ever wonder in the depths of your heart, Is something really happening? Am I really experiencing the transformation in my life that corresponds to the transformation of what takes place up on that altar? Well, if we're really honest, the truth is, until we meet our maker, likely we're all experiencing that to some extent. And that's a good, honest, healthy thing to think. Lord, you came down here on earth to reveal yourself to truly and powerfully impact my life. You know, where's the difference? As a little old lady in the early Wendy's commercials would say, where's the beef? Well, maybe some of us are asking, you know, I'm going to Mass, uh, but where's the power? Well, with that question in mind, which is a good, honest question, we initiated this series called Making the Most Out of Mass, which is going to follow tonight, six-part series led by Father Mike Danderan. So bring that question, bring that hunger, bring that desire to believe that Jesus Christ, who is truly present, doesn't want us to simply be spectators, doesn't want us to be tortured. He wants to truly impact our lives. And let's consider, since he's pouring himself out, what more might we do to receive that grace being poured out? If you want to find out more about our movement of Mass Impact, we're all about families, engaging families to truly live it in our marriages and families, go to ilovemyfamily.us. Now on with the series. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each one of you. I'm Father Mike Danderan, the pastor at Holy Trinity Parish in Assumption, Ohio. And right behind me, the most significant event of your life takes place each day here and every weekend. We're about to journey for six weeks into fellowship, into getting deeper into the scripture of the upcoming Sunday, as well as studying and discussing parts of the holy sacrifice of the Mass so that each time we gather, we get more out of the Mass. I don't know about you, but when I travel on the interstate, the turnpike, and I got to make an exit for gas or maybe for the bathroom, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for the easy and easiest on-off there is. I'm looking for that exit where I can get off and there'll be no hassles. No long lines, no one to interfere with my mission, but get in, get out, back on the interstate. I wonder, though, if we have that same mentality when we come to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. You know, it's Saturday night, Sunday morning. You know, you got this on the docket. You're going to get to church and bring the family. And maybe that in and out, on and off, no hassle mentality that we're looking for when we travel is coming with us to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And I got to tell you, if that's the mentality one brings to this most important moment of our week, we're setting ourselves up for failure. What do I mean? If we come in here looking just to get in and out, no hassles, no interruptions, no distractions, we're going to miss a great opportunity to give praise to God. You know, when we gather with that mentality, you know, the crying baby in the pew behind us is really going to annoy us. 
If we gather for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass with that in and out, no hassle, get in and get done mentality, you know, the extra long homily is going to be a problem. Or that parishioner who is trying to get, get our attention out of the way out to talk about the crops, the health, the family, they're going to be a distraction. They're going to get in the way. That mentality of no distraction, no interruption, it's not going to work. Why do we come to Mass? We gather, first of all, united together with one another. I can go to an exit and not have to talk to anyone. But when I come to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I got to remember it's an encounter not just with me and Jesus, but I gather in this church or any other church to be united to the person sitting beside me or in front of me, to the crying baby behind me, to the needy person or to my left or my right. I gather with them to give praise and glory to God. See, we gather for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, united as a communion of saints, like the communion of saints in heaven. So when we get to heaven, we're going to be united with all the saints. We're going to have a connection to them in a way that's even more powerful than the human connections we have now. We're going to know them by name. We're going to feel a, a solidarity with them. And we're going to have concern for them as they have concern for us. We will demonstrate love for them as they demonstrate love for us. That's the communion of saints in heaven. And when we gather for the Mass, we gather as a foreshadowing of the communion of saints here on earth. Yeah, this experience of communion and connection, hospitality, some would say, that's the mentality we bring when we gather for the Mass. And it all begins in the parking lot. It really does. When you're pulling in and you see that person in front of you, takes the spot you want, you bless them. Because that's the same person who's going to be joining their voices with yours and giving praise to God. You take the time and you greet them. Maybe walk into church with them, introducing yourself to them if you've never met them before. This communion of saints begins in the parking lot. And then you assemble in church. And yeah, prayer before Mass is really important. It gets you in the right mindset. But if you don't make an acknowledgement of the person to your left or to your right, where's the connection? Where's the hospitality? Where is the communion of saints experience in that? Yeah, take the time. Say hello. Good morning. Offer a smile. Hospitality is so central in helping all of us experience that connection that we have as a human family, that connection we have as Catholics worshiping together. So when we gather, yeah, it's not about just Jesus and me. It's about we united together to give worship to him. And my friends in Christ, that hospitality and that communion, it begins with you and I. I know here at Holy Trinity, we've got great ushers. We've got great greeters. We've got people at the door who are going to say, hey, good morning and welcome. And they're wonderful and we need them. Keep up the good work. But that hospitality, that connection to others, that experience of the communion of saints, it's dependent on you and I. It all begins and ends in the parking lot. When we have this mentality that we gather united,
for this purpose, we're not looking to dart out the door at the very end of Mass, immediately going to our car, immediately getting back on the track of life. We take the moment to say to the person to our left or the right as we're walking out the aisle, how you doing? And be willing to take the time to listen to them. What happens at the altar is powerful, extraordinary, life-changing. But the care, the concern, the compassion, the communion of saints experienced in the parking lot before or after Mass, that can be as equally life-changing. And until next time, know of my prayers, my support, my love, and I look forward to seeing you in Mass. You are listening to a six-part series, Making the Most Out of Mass, brought to you by Mass Impact. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it, to be united with other families seeking to do the same, find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us. Last week we talked about the experience of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is an experience of communion with each other. And hospitality is such an important part of that. Today we're gathering, though, to talk about something more practical, maybe. How do parents pray and parent during the Mass? Hi, we're the Daniels. My wife, Jen, and I, we have five children. Joe is our oldest. He's seven. Uh, Maria is our daughter. She's six. Uh, James is four. Luke is two, and John, our youngest, uh, turned one in March, and um, we get a chance to share with you a little bit about our experience with bringing young children to Mass. So we are both converts to the faith, and I entered the church um, soon after Joe was born, and so we were at Mass right before I was to join the church, and we were at the cathedral um, Bishop Thomas was saying Mass, and we were seated literally directly below um, the ambo, right at the right at the very front of the cathedral. And right in the middle of his homily, um, Joe looks up at Bishop Thomas and as loud as he possibly can goes, <laughs> and I thought, I mean, my whole, my whole face turned bright red, I'm sure, and I thought I was going to die. So, um, but... I, the point of that is um, bringing kids to mass is always an adventure and you never, it's kind of like the proverbial box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, but um, we're there. I think it's important to take them, um, to bring them to mass. Um, a few things that we do that sort of help um, that we've learned kind of over the years that sort of help us out. We try to sit um, as close to the front as we can to um, so that the kids can see what's going on. And they can, the better that they can see, we find the easier they um, can participate in the Mass. So we have found that we can expect more out of our kids than we think we can. So um, to expect them to sit when it's time to sit, to stand when it's time to stand, and to kneel when it's time to kneel. The ones who know the responses, to um, encourage them to say them along with um, the congregation. And then for the little ones, just to kind of echo those little whispers in their ear. Do you see Jesus? Um, those things to keep their attention. The other thing that's the most important is as parents, it's our job to um, let our kids know and, and introduce them to who Jesus Christ is. And what better way to do that than bringing them to the Mass? So 
um, regardless of how difficult it is sometimes and how um, stressful that it can be to get to mass and get seated and, and get everyone there and, and to the bathroom and back and ready to go, um, the most important thing we can do as parents is bring our family um, and introduce our kids to um, Jesus and, and at the Mass. Um, and know that we're struggling with you, and we're happy to do it. Um, thanks. It was a non-negotiable in the Dan Duran household. Non-negotiable. You're going to Mass on Sunday. Every Sunday. Doesn't matter if you're traveling, doesn't matter if you're mildly sick, you're going to church. For mom and dad, it was the third commandment. Keep holy the Sabbath. And raised in the tradition they were, they understood how important it was to get us to Mass every Sunday. I do wonder, though, how holy of an experience it was for them as they try to keep control of the six of us in the second pew on the left-hand side at St. Mary's Church there in Tiffin, Ohio. We weren't always the most cooperative and most enthused kids at the Mass. Maybe it wasn't always the most holy experience, but it was still the most important experience that mom and dad could give to us children the importance of that weekly celebration of the Mass. Parents might be asking yourselves, what can we do to better prepare our family for this important moment of the week? There's so many best practices out there. Just like an athlete preparing for a game, the preparation occurs long before they arrive on the field. What can you do at home to get the kids focused on what's about to happen at church? Speak to them in that language that they connect with, that we're going to Mass today to encounter, to experience something powerful and real, to experience Jesus. Speak to them about the significance of this moment, that, that what happened 2,000 year, years ago at Calvary, well, it's almost like we do time travel you find the language, the illustrations that work for your children, but prepare them ahead of time. Take the time. It's good for you as adults, but also for your children. Read the gospel together. You know, If nothing else, read the gospel as you're driving here to, to church. Try to quiet them down enough to say, hey, listen, kids, we're going to hear this gospel today. Allow that to be a moment of preparation. You know, as a priest up there at the altar, I got a pretty good perspective on a lot of things that happen in this church during the Mass. I find it rather humorous. And I know and I see parents at times meeting the challenge of bringing their kids to Mass and trying to keep it holy. And I've seen those embarrassing moments, you know, the embarrassing moments where you got the runaway kid making a headway for the altar, and the parent trying to sneak out of the pew so nobody sees them, but everyone sees them anyways trying to capture that the little rascal as he makes his way to the altar. Now we've seen these, the other one of the parent taking the, the honorary child, disobedient child, down the center aisle trying to get out of the church as the child's having a meltdown, saying, Daddy, don't hit me! I've seen the examples of the, the child who is just simply unruly throughout the Mass, and the parent trying so hard to make a go of it. Every time I see those moments, my prayer is a prayer of gratitude that the parents have made a commitment to exposing to their children the most important thing we do every week. i got to remind you that by getting your kids here every week, it's a teaching moment. 
You know, you're teaching the kids what it is to pray, how to pray the Mass. I, I do have to say, I look out and I see families who move their way through raising their children. And a great example, I remember being so impressed in my first year here of a family with two children. And they had just been able to teach their children, their two oldest, how to pray the Mass with reverence and devotion and attention. Well, the third one came along. And it was pretty good for the first two years. But when that child hit the terrible twos, holy moly, every time they came to Mass, that child seemed to have a meltdown. And yet persistently, mom and dad attended to the moment as they should. And you know what? That child grew out of the terrible twos and began staying alongside her siblings in a reverent, devout, beautiful way. A couple years later, baby number four comes around and, yep, they hit the terrible twos and a repeat scenario. And I know in those meltdown moments, those embarrassing moments, how quickly the parent wants to take the child from the church or even try to skip the church. Nah, engage them in the church. Teach them. It's a teachable moment. The other thing to remember, parents, is look, you know, just like your home, at times the celebration of the Mass can be a little messy. And that's okay. It's not going to be messy in heaven. But here on earth, Mass at times is a little messy. And if the family experience is a little messy, don't sweat it. And recognize that it's simply a season of life. Your season right now is the vocation of being a mother or a father and raising your child in the faith. So come to church with an expectation and a realization of the season you're in. If you're coming to Mass thinking, I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to be 100% in the zone, listening to every word of the Scripture, dwelling deeply and meditating on the homily, and in the zone throughout the Eucharistic prayer without distraction, I think you might be disappointed. Now, there may be a season in life where the children are grown and you have the chance to come to daily Mass and stay in the zone. But that's not the season right now. And you know what? Holiness can happen in every season of life. Yeah, in the messiness of the meltdown and as your diligence and your patience with your child, that's a moment of growing in holiness. Don't pass it up. One of the great hallmarks I feel here at Holy Trinity is it's a beautiful thing to see so many families gather together. And I'm encouraged because, yeah, we have those parishioners with kids have meltdowns, but so often I'll look out and I'll see another parishioner taking care of somebody else's child. They're holding the one as the parent tends to the other. You know, that sense of, hey, we're all in this together. And then there's no judgment if a child acts up. There's simply rather an effort to show care. So that's what it's about. Let the meltdown happen. Manage it to the best of your ability, but don't sweat it. Parishioners who have no children, when it gets messy, don't sweat it. Because remember, without those crying babies, without those voices, we wonder where the future of our parish would be. Rather, when you hear all that, you know, Offer a smile. Offer that gentle look of, hey, I was there once. I get it. I understand. Don't snarl. Smile. Offer a hand. Be that support to them.
I look forward to gathering with you next week as we continue to delve more deeply into the meaning of the Mass and making it come alive for us. Until then, I'll see you in church. You are listening to a six-part series, Making the Most Out of Mass, brought to you by Mass Impact. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it, to be united with other families seeking to do the same, find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us. Last week we talked about the Mass and how do you parent and pray the Mass. Today we're going to focus on what appears for me as the most important title revealing the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been a priest for 22 years now. Uh, I love praying the Mass. The Mass never gets old. That's by God's grace. Nothing about Mike Dandran that makes that happen, but God's grace has fueled within me a passion and love for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. It never gets old. It's the same thing day after day, but it's ever new. I don't know if I can say it, but let me say it just to you. My favorite part of the Mass, if I'm allowed to have a favorite, it takes place after we have sang or recited the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. So we've prayed together, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on me. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on me. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant me peace. We've done that. But listen to that. Have mercy on me. Grant me peace. You know? That speaks to my heart, and I suspect your heart. We want wholeness. We want reconciliation. That wholeness that's been lost because of sin, we want peace. The peace that's been lost because of sin. And so when it says, behold, this that can give me peace and mercy, I want to say, hey, yeah, introduce me to that who can give me peace and give me mercy. And now this is the part. I, as the priest, am honored and humbled to be able to elevate the consecrated host, and say to us and to you, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. I have the privilege to introduce to you that which offers peace and reconciliation, the Lamb of God. Isn't that an extraordinary title for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? Extraordinary title for the one born through the womb of Mary. Extraordinary title for the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. Now that favorite part of the Mass is very biblical. It actually comes to us from the Gospel of St. John. In the Gospel of St. John, in the very early chapters, John the Baptist had gathered with his disciples. And he's saying, hey, look, get ready. Prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. He's talking about repentance of sin. He's talking about baptism to be preparing for that. And so he has quite a following. He has people who are curious. He also has those who are close to him, his very own disciples. And he's at the sea, 
baptizing and announcing repentance of sins. And all of a sudden, in John's Gospel, he looks out in the crowd and he announces, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that kind of a crazy introduction that John would make to the Messiah that he was calling about, to the Messiah who, who he's introducing? The Lamb of God. Not only is the title and the job description kind of odd, but what's more inspiring for me is the response. The scripture tells us that Andrew and another disciple of John immediately left the company of John the Baptist to follow the Lamb of God. Now, Andrew and this other disciple, they were Jews. They would have had a clear understanding of the significance of the Lamb. As Jews, they would have celebrated every year the Passover feast that required the sacrifice of the Lamb. They would have known well the, the story of the first exodus, that first Passover, where the instruction of the Lord was very clear that the way they were to worship and that their worship would identify them was to sacrifice a lamb, allow the blood of the lamb to mark their doorpost, and they must eat the flesh of the lamb. That act of worship identified them as God's chosen people, and the angel of death passed over them on that faithful night because of how they worshiped. So Andrew and the other disciple of John would have known that significance of the lamb. So what was going on in their mind? Were they thinking the lamb of sacrifice? The lamb that was sacrificed that granted the Israelites so many centuries before freedom from slavery of sin. Were they thinking about the Passover meal? Whatever they were thinking about, it touched their soul, didn't it? Because he immediately left to follow the Lamb of God. Who, and he alone, has a power to take away sin. This is the significance of the title, Lamb of God, with the mission to take away our sins. At that moment, that I elevated that consecrated host and I introduced the congregation, behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Similar to John the Baptist, I suspect, there might be people in the crowd who react as they did. There were people in the crowd at John the Baptist that probably thought John the Baptist had, had a screw loose. They looked at this person whom Jesus, who they pointed, whom he pointed to and said, John, you're crazy. That's just another man. And the title and the mission meant nothing to them. And yet there were others like Andrew who saw, heard, believed. What about us? Their elevated is indeed the living, loving God present to us in the Holy Eucharist. What's presented to us is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And what is our response? Is it a yay or a nay? The nay would be the tragic failure to see what is truly present. The tragic failure to assume this is just a symbol 
this is just bread. This is just some sort of rote action. And they walk away not transformed by the encounter. Or they indeed, like Andrew and the other apostles, their hearts are inflamed. And it's a yay. It's indeed a yes and a desire to follow. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to gathering with you next time. And until then, I'll see you in church. You are listening to a six-part series, Making the Most Out of Mass, brought to you by Mass Impact. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it, to be united with other families seeking to do the same, find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us. You know, uh, we see it surrounding us, don't we? People love to worship. They worship all kinds of things and people, right? They worship great athletes. They worship movie stars. They worship people who have made great accomplishments and win the world of business. And those people have a following, don't they? People follow them and and, and track them and, and seek out those concerts or those venues in which they can go before their superstar and give that superstar honor and in some regard worship. So we're going to worship. The question today is, whom are we worshiping and what can they provide us? That's boring. (laughs) That was the response of one of my high school students when I was teaching when they ask the question, what will we be doing in heaven? I think that somehow when we think of heaven, we think of all the various activities that happen in heaven. All those various activities that give us all this joy in life, somehow we think that's going to be happening in heaven. You know, maybe for someone, it's the idea that it's a perpetual game of golf because that gives me joy on earth, therefore I must be getting that joy in heaven. Or for maybe a high school student, it's the constant playing of a video game. So when I told the students what happens in heaven is worship, worshiping God. Continuously, united with all the saints and the angels giving worship to God. And the students said, well, that sounds boring. That student, I guess, isn't ready for the experience of heaven. But how do we get ready for that? I want to propose to you that when we gather for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass each and every week, we gather as if it's almost like spring training for the majors. Because when we gather for the Mass, and we said this in previous sessions, we're gathering with the communion of saints. Mm -hmm. Meaning that it doesn't matter how full the pews are, this church is packed. It's a standing room only moment because all the saints and all the angels, they gather with us in the mass to unite themselves with us as we unite ourselves with them to do what? To give worship to the lamb upon the throne. The book of Revelation provides for us a beautiful image of the activity of heaven. And that activity of heaven, worshiping God, provides for us the deepest joy 
that no golf game could ever match, that no, that no video game could ever compare with. The joy that we experience in heaven is more profound than anything on earth because the joy comes from the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to whom we give worship. Now, if somebody says, well, that sounds boring, I suspect they may say, you know what? I think the Mass is boring too. I've had more than one high school student tell me that as well. Well, I propose to them that reality is Mass and worship of God is not boring. But maybe the person who says that fails to understand the great event that's taking place. And because they don't understand the great event, the, the, the nuances of that event, they find it boring. So the more you know of the worship, the more you'll be compelled to do it. It's a great example of like going to a, I used to go to BGSU's hockey games because I was a chaplain there at the university parish. And hockey at BGSU is a big deal. Never saw a hockey game match in my entire life prior to this. But I go because everybody goes. And when I'm there, people are on their feet. They're standing, they're yelling, they're banging on the glass. And for the first period, I'm kind of like into it. I like the idea of people standing. I'm standing with them, and I'm cheering. And they're, they're cheering, I'm cheering. I'm not sure what I'm cheering for, but they're doing it around me. Well, it got a little old. Second, third, fourth period, I don't even know how many periods there are. I got bored. I sat down. I couldn't figure out what all the fuss was. I left saying the game was boring. Clearly, the thousands that gathered with me said it wasn't boring. I failed to understand the nuances of the game, and therefore, I couldn't engage it. My friends in Christ, when we gather for the Mass, we're gathering for a foreshadowing of the worship that will take place in heaven. And if we can study the Mass and understand the nuances of it, we will engage it as worship. It's designed for that. Look at the parts of the Mass. You know, in the beginning, we unite our voices with the songs of the angels. We cry out, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. We're giving the same glory to God that the angels gave in Bethlehem when they announced the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. We cry out, uniting our voices with the angels and the saints as we say, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth is full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. My friends, that's worship. That's a foreshadowing of what we'll do in heaven. We've got to understand the nuances of the Mass because it will help us understand the worship that we're giving. And as in heaven, so on earth. If we think heaven and the worship of the eternal God, the Lamb upon the throne, is boring, we're not ready for our day of judgment. Allow our participation, our full, active, and conscious engagement of the holy sacrifice of the Mass to be our spring training for the eternal, the eternal gift of worship in heaven. Thank you for joining me. 
I look forward to gathering with you next week for our fifth session on this summer session of getting more out of the Mass. Until then, I'll see you in church. You are listening to a six-part series, Making the Most Out of Mass, brought to you by Mass Impact. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it, to be united with other families seeking to do the same, find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us. You know, you are made for love. You are made to be loved. And you are made to love. The deepest longing of our soul is for that. And the one who made us desires the same. Do you believe that you can have a personal relationship of love in Jesus Christ? Statistics would question that as many as 40% of Catholics, those who gather with us in these pews, 40% do not believe that they can have a personal, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to propose to you that at the Mass, the encounter of love is made present to us in the sacrament of love, the Eucharist. So we both have a quick story about adoration. And very simply, adoration is adoring Christ in the Eucharist. And it can be done quietly, it can be done with music, it can be done in outward prayer, and it is absolutely breathtaking, wonderful, awesome. Um, It's amazing the wisdom that's spoken to you in the silence, and I recommend it for everyone. So Liz went to Chirp. How long ago? So, I was trying to think about this. I think it's been about 13 years ago. I did Chirp... um, and I am a cradle Catholic, and I have never even heard of adoration. It was my very first experience, like 23 years old or something like that. That's, that's pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. So at nighttime, you know, they make you sleep in this little room with all these women, all ages, sizes, shapes, whatever. And so there's a lot of women that were like snoring really, really loud. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how I, I need to get some sleep. And Nothing um, like a snoring woman. And this was before I had kids, so I didn't know how to deal with the lack of sleep thing. So anyways, I decided to take my sleeping bag and go and sleep outside of the Adoration Chapel. And so I had had my first Adoration experience that, that day, um, so prior to s- sleeping outside of the chapel. So I put my um, sleeping bag down, and I lay down, and I'm laying there, and I'm praying, and I had this great sense of love. I have never felt like that in my whole life, just... God's love pouring down upon me, like holding me tight, and I had goosebumps, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. So um, that was my first uh, real experience with adoration. Well, I think to, to gain the most, to give the most and receive the most out of adoration, you have to believe you have to believe that Christ is truly present. If you do believe, it means everything. And to be quite honest, um, sometimes my belief is weak, and sometimes my belief is strong. And when I go into adoration, 
I pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And every time I leave, I just know he's there. I know he's present and I know he's there. And I don't dwell on what I can't understand. I try to listen to what he wants me to hear. So for me, um, when my wife asked me to start going to adoration, to consider going to adoration at Holy Trinity, I said, sure, absolutely. Uh, opportunity for quiet, and in our house it is not quiet. <laughs> and it's an opportunity to think. It's an opportunity to ask God a lot of questions. It's an opportunity to listen. Um, and it's an opportunity to be with him one-on-one in the most beautiful place you can possibly imagine here on earth, which is in church. And from being a spouse and seeing him going every week, I've seen greater peace, um, a better sense of reliability or relying on God rather than himself. Um, so, And I know with me, with six littles, we go to adoration too, but I, I haven't had the joy of having too much of the quiet, peaceful adoration when you have to figure out how we've done that. Um, so a lot of times I have my six littles, and it's about 10, 15 minutes, and teaching them how to pray before the Eucharist and trying to teach them the real presence of the Eucharist. And something that was really helpful for me um, when the girls were going through First Communion, uh, Father Mike gave them this, little, this book. It's called The Little Catechism on the Eucharist. And in there, there is a ton of stories about Eucharistic miracles. And that's something that was uh, really helped enhance my belief, was to read these scientific, you know, because we nowadays have to <laughs> know prove everything, prove everything, um, the real presence of Jesus. And I know that Father Mike talked about this recently in the Mass, also told a story. It was just amazing and fantastic and awesome. So I hope you all have the opportunity to take the opportunity. I challenge you to take the opportunity to go to adoration and spend that time with them and love the Lord. It's a good place to learn. It's the closest you can be to heaven here on earth. God bless you all. As a priest, a number of years ago, I was introduced to the concept of children's adoration. The idea of bringing before our Eucharistic Lord uh, children as young as five, six, seven, eight years old, bringing them before the Eucharist and inviting them to pray silently or in song or out loud. When this first introduced to me, I thought it was crazy. I could hardly get adults to come to adoration. And here I'm supposed to somehow lead children through adoration by the grace of the Holy Spirit or the prompting or the kicking of the shins of parishioners. I, I did it. It's powerful, really powerful. These small children, whether in kindergarten or first grade or second or third, you know, I brought them before Jesus at the altar. You know, and there he is, our Eucharistic Lord in the monstrum. And as I had the kids draw near, I asked them to come up to the altar, to kneel down. And I would say to them, hey, take your eyes and look. Look at the very center and see not just this white host, but I want you to see Jesus. I want you to talk to Jesus. Now repeat after me, looking at Jesus. I ask the kids, look to Jesus. Now tell Jesus, I love you. And they will look up and say, I love you. And I say to the children, now, now look up, look again, because they don't keep looking, they get distracted. Look one more time. Now tell Jesus, you adore him. I adore you. It's beautiful. And those words spoken, 
were words of truth for those children. You could see it in their eyes. But I was overwhelmed with the realization at that moment, too, that unless that is truly God on the altar, if it is just a symbol of God, if it is just a piece of bread, I, as a priest, have led these precious souls in idolatry. It must be God because adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is deep and rich within our Catholic tradition. It's not something Mike Dandoran came up with. Not that smart. And so adoration of the Blessed Sacrament revealed at a deeper, more profound level for me that the Eucharist is a living God that I encounter. I know when we come to Mass, we come to Mass and at times we might struggle with distraction. But when we walk through the doors of the church, my friends, prepare for an encounter at the deepest long, at the deepest level of the longing of your soul. Remember, you are made for love. You are made to love. And God, who is love, desires to love you and to be loved by you. And in the Eucharist, as Catholics, we have one of the most special ways to encounter that outpouring of love. The Father loving us through the Son, and the Son giving himself to us in Holy Eucharist. The bread and wine, it's transformed at the Mass. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and the words of the priest, that bread and wine on the altar, it's no longer bread and wine. It's the living God. It's Jesus come down from heaven so that his words in the gospel may be fulfilled, that we will have life in him when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, that we will encounter him and the depth of his love in the Holy Eucharist. This is what happens at the Mass. So yes, you can have a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ because you're made for that. And God has made you for that. And God desires that for you. This relationship is enriched, sustained, fueled by the Holy Eucharist. When you come forward, folks, come forward with real intention. I know the possibility that the deceiver is trying to distract us from this encounter of love. So we're walking down the aisle. The kids might be distracting us. Our mind might be on the breakfast that follows the mass. It might be on the next activities that await us. It might be on this or that. All those are distractions placed before us by the deceiver to remove us from what is true, the encounter with the living God in Holy Eucharist. This encounter with the living God, though, compels us to live a relationship in him and as we live that relationship in him, we not only want to receive him, we would desire to spend time with him, just to adore him. He gives himself completely to us in Holy Communion. We're the recipients. Can we not give him something back? And all he would want for us to give back is our love, 
our devotion, our adoration. And that's why reception of Holy Communion warrants, and maybe that's a little soft, demands that we spend time with him in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. The spiritual vitality of a parish, I'm convinced, is does that parish foster and engage in Eucharistic adoration? Are the parishioners compelled to come back to church at some point during the week or the month to spend time in loving and adoring the God who loves them in the Holy Eucharist? Now, I'm sure your parishes, but here at Holy Trinity, we offer 24 hour of adoration, Tuesday into Wednesday. People will gather in church throughout those 24 hours at the oddest hours of the night to spend time with him. Our monthly Wednesday adoration to give praise and worship for an hour together. It's beautiful adoration. In fact, at the end of our summer session, a small group, we're going to invite all of you to gather with Mass Impact as they host for us adoration of the Eucharistic Lord who loves us. They will host Ignite and we'll gather here in this church and the God whom we received will be the God whom we adore on the altar. Thank you for joining me again on our fifth session. I look forward to gathering with you one more time as we dwell, dwell ever deeper on the great mystery and the meaning of the Mass. Until then, we'll see you in church. You are listening to a six-part series, Making the Most Out of Mass, brought to you by Mass Impact. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it and to be united with other families seeking to do the same, Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us. The drama of every Mass echoes the drama of our own lives. I want to share with you the significance of the Mass and how it supports, inspires, and encourages us through the dramas of our life. Because of our being away from our faith, I accepted um, an invitation from a friend to attend a service nearby my home and just was blown away by what I encountered, uh, a deep love for Christ um, and, a, and a deep sense of um, belonging from those people. But I could not get past the entertainment portion of their service. Um, I came on a perhaps special day that was not their normal routine, but they played games for prizes in their sanctuary and, and threw little miniature footballs uh, with the church name on it. Um, and I just, I couldn't reconcile that with what I knew we should be doing. Um, even if we were joyful, it seemed like too much. Um, when I arrived, I left my coffee in the car and was greeted to two kinds of fruit-infused waters and a full coffee bar. And while I had some, I couldn't help but feel guilty. And at the time, I didn't know why. And it just came down to me as the more I learned and listened and thankfully had an amazing Catholic friend who shared information with me and was there at the right moment. Uh, to help get me get home. 
But um, it made me think of Father Mike Schmitz uh, does an incredible series of videos and information. And one that I watched that struck home with me so much was he said, um, the heart of all religion is worship. And the heart of all worship is sacrifice. Whether it be us as Catholics uh, in old Jewish times, uh, even other religions around the world, that is the basis the heart of religion is worship, and the heart of worship is sacrifice. My family, uh, my five siblings, my in-laws, and my mother, and I have made the tradition of vacationing in February together. Uh, it's a great experience of spending time with the family. While I have five siblings, and while we were all raised in the Catholic Church, not all of us practice our Catholic faith. I have a sister who was divorced and remarried outside the church. Her and her second husband, uh, are very involved in a non-denominational church. And they're very faithful to it. It truly enriches their life as they share it with us. On our va family vacation, though, when it comes to Sunday morning, we're a little divided. My sister and brother-in-law will walk down the street from the house to their non-denominational church on Sunday morning. My mom, my brothers, and I will travel down to the Catholic Church. This past year, at the Catholic Mass at the same church was very much similar to the previous year, it's a packed with people. The church is standing room only. It's a very perfunctory mass. The presider recognizes the need to make sure this mass fits within the small window that they have available. There is no music. The preaching is perfunctory. In fact, the same homily was preached that year as it was the previous year. It was the annual appeal for the bishop. It was the holy sacrifice to the Mass. By our own omissions to each other, my brothers and I said it wasn't the best Mass we ever attended. We went back to the house in which we were staying and we get, were waiting for our sister and brother-in-law to return from their service. They ended up being an hour later than us. And when they came back in, they were so joyful and so excited about what they experienced at their service. They experienced great Bible study. The preacher was fantastic in breaking open the word. They experienced fellowship and connection. They experienced powerful music of worship. Clearly, their experience was far more entertaining than what my brothers and mother experienced at the Catholic Mass. Why is it that the Protestant service and non-denominational services seem to be more entertaining? I propose to you this. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is not designed for entertainment. The holy sacrifice of the Mass does not have the same objective or goals that the other services might offer. When we gather for this holy sacrifice of the Mass, we have to remember two very important things. When we gather for the Mass, it is not a man-made construct. We are worshiping as God has prescribed. The eternal God, whom we are to give worship, he alone instructs us on how to worship him. Go back to the Old Testament. Read about the worship of the Israelites. When it came time for that first Passover meal, that first worship of God, God gave through, to the Israelites through Moses a very precise, prescriptive way of worship. What to do exactly with the blood when to eat the flesh, what prayers to be spoken. 
God gave them the way in which he desired to be worshipped. It wasn't created by man. So for to us in the New Testament, Jesus, on the night before he died, he gave to us the prescription of how we are to worship him until the end of time, when he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to us and said, take and eat. And he blessed the wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink of it. And then he said, do this in memory of me. This is how we are prescribed by God to worship. When you come for the holy sacrifice of the Mass, do not expect innovation, human, human, human creativity. The second part of that. When we gather for the holy sacrifice of the Mass, what we're doing has eternal consequence. Because when we gather for the holy sacrifice of the Mass, we're not remembering. We are literally entering into the moment of our Lord's Paschal mystery. His Paschal mystery is made present to us once again. The Paschal mystery of his suffering, his death at Calvary, and his resurrection. And what did his Paschal mystery offer to all of humanity? It offered the forgiveness of sin. It was through his suffering at Calvary that the gates of heaven would be thrown back open again, that the sinner could be reconciled, that the path to his eternal home may be once again made ready for us. That's what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And when we pray the Mass, that's what's happening in that moment again. Souls, through the sacrifice of the Mass, are coming home to heaven through the mercy of Jesus. It doesn't matter how good or how bad the music is. It doesn't matter the length of the service. It doesn't matter whether the homily was inspired or not. What matters is that we worship as God has prescribed so that his work of Calvary can make a difference in the souls at that moment. That's why we gather. And sometimes when we gather for the Mass, maybe the Mass, the drama of the Mass, is that reminder that just as he suffered and died at Calvary and God brought forth good, so too when we suffer, when we experience an individual personal death, that God can bring forth something good from it. The holy sacrifice of the Mass not only allows souls to enter into heaven, but it reminds us the drama of our life can find greater meaning and connection as we united to the passion of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining me on this six-week journey as we grow in fellowship with one another, as we reflected on the Sunday Gospel, and as we try to understand more deeply the significance of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. If you're interested in making the most out of Mass, overflowing into your marriage and family and world, to really live it and to be united with other families seeking to do the same, find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. That's ilovemyfamily.us.